Well, man, I am, uh, you, Jerry had the impossible job there of trying to list everything that Kyle does on behalf of this church. And I'm one of many people, many, many, many long, super long line of people that has been called forth to believe in the gospel and all of its riches and to be who it is God has called me to be. I think I've told you all this before, but I'll tell you again that I, I wouldn't be here if it weren't for Kyle Wade. He was a huge catalyst in my coming here, so you have him to thank or blame for that. And so, uh, but I have him to thank, and he is, he is so good at um, utilizing these, all these skills, listening, questioning, challenging, affirming, and, and confronting at the same time. I mean, he, he's very gifted at that, and in any setting, one-on-one all the way up to you know, one-on-one in his office all the way up to hundreds in this setting and any size group in between and not just any size group, but any age group. He can, he can do this with the youngest all the way to the oldest and at any depth. He can swim with us at 20,000 leagues under the sea when, when that depth is needed and, and dark things come or hard things come, but he can also swim just as comfortably at the surface, laughing at the days and causing us to laugh when we need to come up for air. And we need to do that frequently. And so, Kyle, I know you're totally uncomfortable with all this, but you are a very rare kingdom treasure. And I mean that with all my heart. I watch it all the time, and I hear from people all the time. And that is just true. That is objectively true. And I thank you so much for giving a quarter century of your life to not just the kingdom, but this body in particular, in particular. And so, love you, brother. So, We begin this week with the first of three weeks of talking about and exploring what the Bible speaks of as the kingdom. Now, I've been reviewing every reference to the kingdom in the New Testament for a couple of weeks now. And there's one minor but important point that I want to start with. Because when you read scripture, you will notice this. And I don't want it to throw you off or when I make references to scriptures. And that is there are five... Uh, variations. There are variations of five separate terms that are utilized in the New Testament to talk about the kingdom. So first of all, there's the kingdom of God. This is the most broadly used and the most common use uh, or mentioning of it in scripture is the kingdom of God. You'll find it throughout the New Testament. The second most frequently used is the kingdom of heaven. When you start in Matthew, that's his favorite term. So that's what you'll Uh, encounter there. And then you'll find at a much lesser level of use, the kingdom of Jesus or Christ or his kingdom when speaking of Christ. And that's spattered throughout the whole New Testament. And then you'll find just the shorthand, the kingdom. Scripture will just say the kingdom. And that's what it's referring to as well. And then kind of a neat one, the kingdom of light is also used. So for those interested, those last three uses are, are in the single digits. It's over 160 uses in the New Testament, references to the kingdom. But all those are single digit uses. So by far, you will see the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God used the most. And what's important for you to know is when you read those, they are all speaking of the same thing. And a a demonstration of this is when Mark and Luke tell the story of Jesus and he says something to the effect of, it is difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Matthew tells that exact same story. They use the same source material. And he says that it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And so that and many other things can let you know that when you read these terms, that they are all speaking of and referring to the same thing. But to what are they referring? 
That's the question of this series. What is scripture talking about? What's the New Testament talking about? What's Jesus talking about when he talks about the kingdom? And we do need to ask that question anew because whatever picture comes into your head when you think of with your modern mind the term kingdom, you don't have to read much of the New Testament to find out that it doesn't fit that description. I looked it up this week, and in the community of nations globally, there are still 44 of those nations that are considered kingdoms. I didn't know there were so many, but there are. There's 44 kingdoms remaining in the world. And so over in, uh, over in Europe, of course, you know about England because of the crown. You watch that during your binge watching during this last year. But, but Spain and Belgium, those are both kingdoms there in Europe. Over in the east, Thailand and Cambodia, they are both still kingdoms. And then in the Middle East, Saudi Arabia and Jordan, those are both kingdoms. And there's 44 of those. And so when I refer to the kingdom of Spain, you know exactly what to think. You can pull out a map. You can point to it on that map. You can outline its borders because we know a kingdom is a place. Okay? It's a place. And that's what we think. So if I said, I want to experience the kingdom of Spain. You would instantly, without any effort, know what I mean. He wants to go to Spain. He wants to go within those borders, you know? And you would be able to determine, without effort, whether I am residing in the kingdom of Spain or not. And you would just, it's a simple matter of, is he within the borders of that nation, of that kingdom? And so you find out really quick, as you read through the New Testament, when you see references to the kingdom in scripture, that that is not how they are using it. The kingdom is not a matter of place. So if the kingdom is not a matter of place, what is the kingdom of God or heaven or light a matter of? There's, there's so much to say here, but for this series, I'm going to confine myself with what Paul says in Romans fourteen seventeen. Where he says the kingdom of God is a matter of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. This helps, this one verse, I, and I've mentioned it throughout the years. I've never stopped and done a series on it, so I'm excited to do it. Because this, this is so helpful and helps us get a sense of what the New Testament means and what Jesus meant when he said the kingdom of heaven is near. It's a matter of these things. So entering the kingdom of God is not like entering Spain by means of crossing a border. Entering the kingdom of God is more like experiencing peace, experiencing joy, and experiencing righteousness, rightness between you and God and among people. We'll get into that more. By means of the Holy Spirit, who we know lives within us. Within us. This makes profound sense of an otherwise mysterious saying of Jesus in Luke 17, where he says, The kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation. Nor will people say, Here it is, or there it is. No, because the kingdom of God is within you. It's within you. So this week, I want to talk about that part of the kingdom that is a matter of peace. I want to talk about that. I've taken them out of Paul's order a little bit, but I wanted to start with peace because that's the kingdom. And specifically, I want to take a shot at answering this question. What do I need to do to trigger this Holy Spirit-induced experience of kingdom peace? What do I need to do to trigger this ridiculous, 
ununderstandable, regardless of my circumstance, peace. To where that is my daily normal. That's my baseline. That it's not that I'm normally stressed and overrun and overwhelmed and occasionally I experience peace. Two, I am normally peaceful and I occasionally have a, a temporary disruption to that. That's what's available to kingdom citizens. That's what's available to followers of Christ. So I want to take a shot at answering that. How do we do that? How do we experience that as a daily normal? So it's been quite a while since I've used a cheesy acronym to help you remember a teaching, but I'm going to do it today. I'm going to do it today. I'm going to use this. If you want kingdom peace, then you need to maintain a kingdom pace. Yeah, cheesy. See why I wanted to use it though, right? Kingdom pace. So I'm going to use this acronym. The first thing you need to do if you want to experience this unexplainable kingdom version of peace is you need prayer. So let me just say this as clearly as I can. This might be the most important thing. I'm going to say more though, but this will be the most important thing I say, okay? If you have not or will not invest in the development of what by any standard could be called a prayer life, do not ever expect kingdom peace. Do not ever expect to experience unexplainable, ridiculous, no matter what's going on, peace. If you have not or will not invest in a meaningful, time-consuming, worthwhile, weighty prayer life. Because you won't get it. Over in... uh, John chapter 14, he's talking to his disciples, Jesus is, and he says this. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I don't give you as the world, I don't give, I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Two more of the most disobeyed commands of Jesus we've just read. And, and evidently there is something about this kingdom peace that gives you the authority to not Let your heart be troubled. That's how he says it. Don't let it happen. He has delivered something that gives him full expectation that he can say this to his disciples and expect that that is possible. Do not be afraid. This is a ridiculous, unexplainable, unreasonable kind of peace that he's trying to give it. He says it twice. This is my peace, the kind I have, the kind you've watched in me. And are going to watch in me as I get crucified even. This is amazing gift that he's talking of. Most of us don't believe in it. And he says the world gives too. Okay, the world gives. But I don't give like the world gives. And I want to suggest that there is a, a worldly peace that we can have. And I don't want that. Well, no, the honest truth is I do want it. But it doesn't last. It's, fra- it's too fragile. I might say, you know, there's, my, my marriage is going along pretty good. We're not having any troubles. I'm feeling some peace. You know, financially, I'm doing decent, and, and I, I don't feel overwhelmed. And so I, I have a measure of peace. My, my grades are going good. My, my schoolwork doesn't seem like too much for me. It's not stressing me out every day. So I, I'm feeling some peace, you know. My job isn't, you know, unmanageable. And so I'm feeling some peace. Do you, do you see? That's the kind of peace the world gives. That's explainable. That's understandable peace. That's the kind that most, even Christians, go after and wish they had. 
But it's too fragile because all the enemy has to do is disrupt one of those things and it's gone. It's gone. We are expecting, or I'm asking you to grow in your expectation that we can have a peace. I can be going through massive, maybe even divorce. I can, I can be failing in my grades. I can be overwhelmed by the assignments that I'm being given by my teachers at my workplace. I can be drowning in financial struggles or medical problems that have caused financial struggles in addition to the medical problems and still have this ridiculous, like, peace. I know it seems ridiculous. Even as I say it, I feel like it's ridiculous. It's just not understandable. But that's the kind that the Bible talks about. That's the kind the kingdom provides. Turn a couple pages over in John 16, and he says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. You will. The d- divorce and pandemics and all, kind, you know, all kinds of things are going to happen in this world. You will have that. That's not surprising to me. I'm accounting for that, but... I'm giving you something else. I'm giving you peace. Take heart. I've overcome that world. So there's something about being a kingdom citizen that can navigate that in this, this life right here, we will have trouble. He knows that's going to happen, but there's something transcendent over that that has overcome that that allows for peace, even in the midst of it. That's what we have. Now, there's something... There's the, this is why prayer is so important. This is another thing that's different about our earthly kingdoms and the kingdom of God. In earthly kingdoms, it is rare to get audience with the sovereign, with the king or the queen or the emperor. That's rare. It is not readily available for you to get audience with the power broker of a kingdom, and that's the sovereign, the king. In the kingdom of God, audience with the power broker, the one who has all the power, our king, Jesus, is universal and available to all simultaneously and personally. That's one of the big differences, and that is accessed through prayer. So do not expect the king's peace if you are not going to get audience with the king that he has provided for. So Paul, and this is really my text for today is Philippians 4. He echoes, has experienced, and affirms what Jesus is teaching when he says in Philippians 4, starting verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer, present your request to God. Why? Well, because then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Is an ununderstandable thing that's being offered to you. The understandable kind of peace that's in the world, but it's fragile, won't last, easily disrupted, this kind sticks. So you need kingdom prayer if you want kingdom peace. And that leads us to our A, and that's an attitude. I know, I know our, our moms told us, don't have attitude, but I'm telling you, you get to have attitude here. But it's a certain kind of attitude that you, that you need to have, a certain posture. So just continuing in Philippians 4, Paul says this, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And if you do that, he says, the God of peace will be with you. Now, I just want to affirm, it takes a special 
sort of attitude in the face of what we live in down here to think about only these good things, right? True things, noble things, right things. In, in the backdrop upon which we live, to do this is difficult. And it takes a special sort of fortified attitude to do that. In this world, right, if we just reflect on what this world is presenting to us, it is full of presentations of dishonorable, mediocre, unworthy things. That's the world. The Bible has a lot to say about the world. And then you add to that our flesh, just our flesh. The Bible has a lot to say about our flesh too. It constantly inclines us to focus, especially about ourselves, on what's wrong, on what's lacking, and what's ugly. And the flesh doesn't just incline us to observe those things in ourselves and in the world. It, it, It tempts us to include ourselves, to involve ourselves in things that are impure. And then add to that what the world and the flesh does. The enemy comes in, kind of rounding out this unholy trinity of the world, the flesh, and Satan. The enemy comes in, downright lies to us, convincing us to make agreements with things that are false. Which makes false things true for you, by the way. And when you live as if something false is true, you are not going to have peace. You're not going to have peace. And so it takes a special posture, a special attitude to go against all of that to further not need any of that to change. The world can keep on presenting its negativity. The flesh can keep on tempting us. And Satan can keep on lying. But we need a special fortified attitude that is insistent in holy rebellion against all of that, needing none of that to change, and still follows this advice and focuses on what's good and right and praiseworthy and true and noble. I'm not saying it's easy. It's just the thing we do as kingdom citizens. And when we do that, then the God of peace will be with us. And you won't have that fortified attitude, by the way. You won't have the A without the P. Prayer. Then, so you need a kingdom prayer life so that you have access to the king who will then transform you with the king's attitude so that you can have his attitude. And you also need something that's very useful, and that's kingdom community. You need community. So I get this if I just keep reading what Paul is saying, starting in verse 10. He starts talking, remember, he's writing a letter to the Philippian church. And he has a little shout out to the community that he has with them and their attentiveness to him. He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you've renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you've been concerned, but you have had no opportunity to show it. Now, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. Okay, pause here. He's about to go off on how peaceful he is. He loves that the community is, is attentive to him and is, is now, now accessing their availability, their care. They always had care, but they didn't always express it. And now they've had opportunity. He's great about this, but he wants to make the point. He says, I, I'm not in need, for I have learned to be content, that is peaceful, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content, that is peaceful, in any 
and every situation. See, ridiculous, ridiculous, unexplainable, unreasonable peace is what he's talking about and experiencing. He says, I know what it is to have plenty. Oh, sorry. He says, whether it's well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And then he reiterates how he's able to maintain. What is this secret that he had? I've already told it to you in the P and the A. Okay, I've already told you it, but he says it as if he's reading our mind. How do you do that? That's ridiculous peace. He says, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. It's somehow there's some connection to Jesus that Paul is utilizing in order to say and actually experience what he's telling us. But then he adds this at the end, and I love this. In verse 14, he says, yet, even though I'm good, yet it was good of you to share in my trouble. Here's what I glean from this little speech of Paul's. My peace isn't dependent on people. But it is so good to have kingdom people to help me with my peace. The the community is so important. It's good. Jesus is the source of that peace. And if, if I fail you, you are not ruined where your peace has to be interrupted because I will fail you. We will fail each other, but boy, it's good when I don't in it. It's good when we don't. It's so good. It's so useful. So, and, and just adding an element to this, you know, Jesus said just in terms of not just sharing in people's troubles, but in terms of your relationships with others. Jesus, back in his epic Sermon on the Mount, he says, blessed are the peacemakers, those that go in to create peace in in their relationships and in relationships between others. They're blessed. And so when things aren't right between you and someone else, okay, when we should take Paul's advice that he writes to the Roman church when he says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If you can't, and sometimes you can't, but, but you can do whatever it is that you're called to do. You can do that. So you don't say you can't before you explore what is it difficult that I need to do in order to live at peace with someone. But as soon as you do that, if you really scrape the bottom of the barrel and you do what's in your, it takes two to reconcile, but only takes one to offer what they are to offer. But once you do that, then you can have this peace that passes understanding. We need contact with the king through prayer. We need the king's attitude that comes and is shaped in us as a result of that. It's so good to have this kingdom community. So we get to the E. The E stands for faith. What? What's wrong? Oh, oh, it doesn't fit nice and tidy into the sermon outline. That's exactly right. The troubles that are coming your way will not fit nice and tidy into your expectation of life. And you need a powerful, large, robust, massive, ready amount of faith in order to face what comes. You will be ready to face whatever comes your way, whatever circumstances that come your way when you are exercising and growing your faith when they're not there. If you need the faith tomorrow and you haven't developed the faith today, don't expect it to be there tomorrow. Expect to be crushed. 
Expect to doubt in the presence of God. Expect to doubt whether God exists. Expect to, expect to be just thrown for a loop to, to blame others. To, to, I mean, you expect all of that. We need a faith that lives outside the expectations of what we think is a nice and tidy life. Whether it's personal stuff, like we've mentioned, the loss of a job, sudden death of a loved one, the appearance of cancer, financial struggles, family issues, or societal stuff that we've learned here recently can really invade our peace. Sudden Alaskan landscapes hitting Texas and taking all our power, you know, pandemics, politics on steroids, strife there, war. Whatever comes, if we're going to have the kind of peace that Jesus offers and that Paul describes, if we're going to live in the kingdom of heaven, right here, regardless of what happens on earth, then we're going to need to have a real and robust and unassailable faith that can outmatch whatever comes. Now, faith in what? I tried to think about this. Faith in what? What's specific? I know God, but what? What about God? And, and these are the two things that I find myself running to when my peace is invaded. And my peace is invaded. And I go off on tangents, trying to find my peace in false ways. But I don't know any Christian, and I sure don't know any successful way in myself that doesn't eventually find its way to faith that God loves me. And faith that he's in control. Those two things. Faith that God loves me and that this is what this is what it looks like. When my faith, not if, when my faith is challenged, I do a lot of things, and then I end up. It looks like this to get to find my peace. This I want you to see what it looks like for me. He loves me. Even with what has happened, even with what I've done. (sighs) He's got this. Even with what's going on and to whom it's going on with, (sighs) he's got it. It is some version of that and nothing short of that and nothing more than that. That is where kingdom peace comes from. And it's not dependent on certain personality types. And you know it's not dependent on your circumstances. This is for everyone who follows Jesus. I want to ask our elders and our ministers and their families, go ahead and move. They're going to be outside and in the hallway and around this room in case you need a touch. And I want to end with some, I I tried to think of a comparison of this. You know, Jesus is so good at saying the kingdom of heaven is like, and then he tells some analogy. I'm trying to think, what's this like? And I, I go, what's this like in my life? God, something that can relate to everyone. I went back to my college years. This probably actually has happened three, maybe four times in my life where I liked a girl, and the crowning jewel, of course, was Carrie, but, but I went back to college for my first experience of this where I liked a girl, and I remember this day when I found out she liked me too. I, okay, I, just, I, I wish it just was 
You know what? I don't know if I wish this. It, it's great. It would be great, I think, if that just lasted forever, that stage of relationship. But I remember, I remember thinking, oh, that is, she likes me too. Okay, like she were, she's returning this affection that I have for her. She has that for me. And this is exciting, right? And so I remember that day. It was a bad day for me otherwise. Like I went to my, uh, it was my public relations class, and I bombed a paper, and I got it back that day. Failed failed it. This has really sent me back. That was bad. I had an intramural championship softball game. I play shortstop and I single-handedly, because of me, lost the championship game that day. And then I went to eat dinner in the cafeteria at Harding University and they were out of Dr. Pepper. This was a bad day, a very bad day. But I remember, I remember nothing could shake me. Why? Because she likes me. That day was unruinable. Church, that's, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. When you're clear and you get that God loves you and that that God that loves you is in charge of everything, we are less shakable because of the clout she had in my life. That day was good simply because she liked me. Because the cloud God has in your life, this day is good. Simply because he loves you. So whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever you've done, God loves you. And God's in control. His peace he leaves with you. So let's stand and let's praise this great king for what he offers us in song.